0: To the very next edition of Light Shed Live. On today's edition, we have Ryan Wyatt of Polygon Studios. Take it away, Rich. Well, on behalf
1: of Brandon Ross and Walt Pisik, we're really excited to have you, Ryan. Uh, you know, we've known you throughout your time at YouTube, and was psyched to see you do something cutting edge in the Web three world, joining Polygon. But before we get into Web3 and crypto and all the things I know you're dying to talk about, <laughs> could we could we just roll back a little bit? Because you built a pretty tremendous business. And my guess is there's a lot of people watching and who will listen to this as a podcast later who don't know Ryan Wyatt, don't know what you built at YouTube Gaming. So maybe just give us the, maybe start us off with like, when did you get to YouTube and the evolution of YouTube Gaming over your time there?
2: Yeah, no, I'd love to. So, you know, when I was in... Uh... When I was in college at Ohio State, I really wanted to work in the gaming industry and was trying to figure out what, what I wanted to do in, in the space. And um, it was tough because I wasn't like a game developer or anything like that. And and I was playing video games competitively. And so I, I, I tuned into a company called Major League Gaming, which basically was kind of one of the first large esports uh, tournament organizers in North America. And... They were putting on these like great huge esports events, but they were in ball like ballroom hotels, right? Like they weren't big or anything like that. You know, this is what is it two thousand eight mm-hmm. nine at the time, um, and we had just went through a pretty large recession. Um, you know, the housing market, kind of the banks, everything that happened around there, and so like I had a lot of buddies that were graduating and and not getting jobs, and so I got a job working at a company called Machinima. Um, And it was really small. It was probably like the, I don't know, 10th or 11th employee there. And what Machinima was aspiring to do is build this, you know, MTV, a video games network on top of YouTube, right? YouTube was littered in a world of like cat videos, you know, um, random how-tos, you know, it was very early. Charlie bit my finger. Charlie bit my finger. Creators weren't monetizing, right? So it was more of like a, it really was embracing purely a video hosting website and that's it. Um... And so anyway, long story short, um you know, during my time at machinima, really started to figure out the creator economy, right? like what happens when you start to incentivize content creators to actually create right? Um, and so we were we were one of the few channel few networks that allowed for ad monetization. so creators couldn't go directly to YouTube to monetize. they'd go to a multi-channel network is what they were called. and so you had some
0: the had good bigger, old MCNs. yeah MCNs,
2: <laughs> machinima full screen, get some like big hitters and then, These were a catch-all for creators. Content creators would come in, they'd sign with the network, they'd be able to start monetizing their channel. The network would sell that ad inventory out. They would package up these lineup of creators that they had, and they would start to monetize. Google Ventures invested in Machinima, and while at Machinima, I used to write these like Jerry Maguire-esque commission statements to YouTube about how like terrible they were doing with gaming, right? You know, Justin TV was coming up. People were really getting interested with streaming. It was taking Justin from-
1: TV. What became Twitch to be clear. Which, which became Twitch. Let's just right? yeah. again. I'm just framing for the audience because people may not know Justin.tv, which you know, we do.
2: Yeah, it started as Justin TV and switched to Twitch. And like, um, I was I was streaming on Justin TV at night and working at Machinima during day, like helping content creators. So I was hedging because I'm like, am I gonna actually be a content creator or am I gonna be this like nine to five working on the creator economy? So I was kind of doing both. Um Anyway, Susan became the CEO of YouTube. What was
0: your game back then? Uh,
2: I played Call of Duty competitively and commentated it for like eight years from an esports perspective as a commentator. Um, maybe it. a little less, seven years, but a long time. Um, so anyway, at Machinima, I was writing all of these notes and you know, we ended up partnering directly with Twitch because YouTube was like, all this stuff was kind of following on deaf ears. They weren't listening to us. They weren't really engaging with us. They very were very forth about not caring about gaming, right? Like they were explicitly not caring about gaming. But then Susan came in with uh, Jiski as our CEO, and one of the first things she did was like, "Gaming thing is huge. Like, why is there no one at this company who knows what they're talking about with gaming?" And so Robert Kinsel, one of like my favorite people, reached. Out. I was like, "Who's that crazy guy that like always sent us all these emails about all the shit we should be doing?" Like that guy thought he had all the answers. Let's go. Let's have lunch with him. So I had lunch with Robert Kinsel, who's the chief business officer at YouTube. has been there well over a decade and was at Netflix before. Uh, and we had lunch for an hour and a half. And I didn't know it was like really for like an interview for a role. So I'm just like ranting, like, you don't do this, 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 you ignore this, you don't get this, the product sucks here. You know, a whole list. Of, and I think I'm like, it, it's really- Your best Reddit
0: ready. personality was on.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I've been waiting to talk to a human at YouTube. Let me like pull out my scroll of things that I think you guys should be doing and you know, seventeen interviews later, it was like, oh, well, guess what? You're the guy that's going to go do all this stuff that you've been complaining about. And so, at tw- I was a, I, 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 I was t- yeah, 27, and became the head of gaming at YouTube. Spent the last almost eight years there. Uh, gaming is the second biggest vertical on YouTube. Uh, you know, it's a massive, massive revenue driver and watch time generator for YouTube. Um, and basically, I had this opportunity to to really build. You know, it was a blank canvas, right? Because they weren't doing anything in there, but it had endless opportunities in the creator economy. It was this fun experience to build out alternative monetization products outside of just ads. It was fun to build out the live streaming business. It was fun towards the end to build out like short form content, clips, highlights, inevitably becoming YouTube shorts. Um, and so I had a blast being a part of the entire creator economy journey from like the day it actually started. Being actual creator, one of Twitch TV's first partner channels, and then also getting to build it on the YouTube gaming side. And so after, you know, 12, 13 years of doing creator economy, I really started to get interested in Web3. But that was my time at YouTube. I loved it. have nothing but great things to say.
0: Of course. So (laughs) um, when you started to get interested in Web3, what really grabbed your attention about it? You'd been sort of at the pinnacle of of Web two in the area you're interested in. Yep. What was different about Web three? What brought you down the rabbit hole?
2: Yeah, I lo- uh, yeah, I love it. Um, so last year, so I, I, you know, I only do a small number of angel investments, and last year I had some buddies that were leaving like pretty prominent game developer studios and st- studios that were raising to make games. I was like, this is awesome, right? Like, let me learn more about it. And, you know, they were blockchain-based games. And, you know, and that started coming up. And I was like, this is really fascinating. So this is, you know, early last year. You know, it starts to hit my radar and I become very fascinated. Well, like, well, why, why are you doing it this way? What's the reasoning behind it? Because I was never really into DeFi. I traded in and out of crypto over the years, but never was like, I never was this person was like, oh, crypto is going to change the world and DeFi is so important. But I really started to get in, uh, interested in decentralized apps, right? Like what happens when you build apps where information is on chain and publicly available. Like, think of it just at the highest level. Put all of these things aside. It's in a world where you create, you know, games in Web two. Things are very centralized. They're in, you know, they're private. What if you actually make games in the spirit of all of this information is publicly available? Everything is on chain. What is that? What kind of game experiences can you create? Why do you do that? I know we'll talk about it later, but that's yeah. where I started getting fascinated in it and starting was writing checks as a as an angel getting into some of these. Seed Series A investments, and then what happened for me was I thought that would like scratch the itch for my from you know my my appetite. It actually like exasperated, and I became so enamored with the space that it became very hard to not want to be fully dedicating my time into it. Um, So that's kind of what happened towards the end of last year.
0: Well, what problems did you see the blockchain solving for creators? You had spent so much time um, working for creators in Web two.
2: It's funny that question. Like I I can name a couple, but I don't know that I looked at it as it's a thing that's solving problems, right? I think a lot of people, the big dig on Web three is it's like you're, you're you're manufacturing problems to solve for. I'm not really sure that I like see it that way at all. I think it's. The, it's like a new product feature that allows different app development and different development. It's different. It's not problem solving. Like you, I'm sure people might have an argument about that, but that's just right. like my personal perspective. I think of it, it, un, it opens and unearths like new opportunities to build in different ways. Um, so that's where I started to get interested in like gaming too. I thought it was really cool where, you know, the spirit is, you own these digital items you have this ability to transfer these items you have this ability to like really democratize development and although you can actually find decent web2 parallels here the underlying ethos of web3 is building with that in mind right you know building with community in mind building with a governance token being able to have early investment opportunities inside of these you know companies and so forth so it changed the way things got done now for creators when you think about what is it really helpful? The really cool thing on on the creator front is if you're a small indie studio and you launch a game and you only get tens of thousands of users, you're done. You're cooked. That game is a complete flop. It failed and never became anything. If you do that in these markets, you can actually self sustain with tens of thousands of people. Whether you're an artist launching an NFT project, whether you're an indie studio launching a game. Because of the ability to kind of have NFTs, have utilization inside of that, be able to monetize those independently, it adds like a, a level and layer of dynamic between the, the creator and the individual that a patreon, that a channel level membership, that a fan donation can never really fully accomplish. Um, and that it's really validated that you feel some sense of ownership over it. So instead of just like, oh, I'm putting money in you know a tip jar, To show that my help, I'm like, all right, I have some, I have some skin in the game alongside of this creator. I was early. This creator's success is my success, right? Uh, You know, a lot of people always love when they're like listening to an artist. They'll be like, oh, I mean, I heard, I heard them before they were played on the radio, right? Like, oh, I went to a concert before, blah, 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 right? They take tremendous pride in that. Imagine if you actually had some upside in that person's growth. All of a sudden, you don't need that sense of pride because you have that, that ownership or that item that connects to them. So.
0: Is that about community? Is that about feeling like you're belonging to something or is about financial incentive? And how do those kind of work together?
2: It's a little bit of both, right? Like, I mean, the thing about all of it is um, you look at like Web3 and the whole spirit of it is like it's embracing and democratizing all of this. And so you have good actors and bad actors, much like (laughs) creation of the Internet, Right. Like I think about that. And so you have people that, you know, certainly are over fixated on financialization part of that, and they take advantage of the framework that's set up here. And then you have people that, you know, like a Royal Music that's helping artists actually mint tickets and merch and and, uh, albums and songs and finding artists that actually can disrupt the normal economics of the music industry by being able to better monetize and be inclusive of their community. And do I think people are buying some of those albums for the opportunity to flip that? Sure. But I do think there's a lot of genuine community integrity of like, this is a cool way for me to participate. And it's a more evolved way than I otherwise was able to do before. Um, But yeah, I think we're just going to have to kind of, part of the wild, wild west of this is like the early days of the internet. It's like what, when I was at YouTube, we had to go through a bunch of stuff of like, when you're this open platform that allows for all of these content upload, how do you take these principled stances for what's right, what's wrong? When do you rule with an iron fist versus not, you know, like, how do you identify bad actors? It's, it's very similar. that's happening in this space. And I think some people have fixated too much on the financialization first um, as an opportunity. And I'm actually glad that we're starting to see like regulatory bodies come down hard on these instances because one, it raises awareness of how to stay away from them. And two, it gives back bad actors a a point of hesitation to kind of do some of these things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. What you just described is more of the platform dealing with the bad actors. Yeah. Meaning, but there was still, I think as YouTube was growing demand and, and I don't want to say immediate, you would probably know better than, than us maybe, but pretty quick growth, like that, that it was broadly accepted. Like I click on a button and I watch a video and there's interesting shit on there to watch. So mm-hmm. I, I guess the question then, when I flip this to blockchain, is it's not about the blockchain platforms necessarily keeping the bad actors, is it? Something that's so different and maybe perceived as being, you know, kind of a, a community that's um, very vocal about it that that it prevents there being broad acceptance or wide consumer acceptance. Whereas when we talk about like Web two, like it was just there. Like I, I don't know, is there a risk then that you just don't get broad acceptance because it's perceived as this, like, oh, Web three and and you know a bunch of buzzwords that that are you know talked around, and maybe there's a good guy or bad guy on the platform side, not on the user side.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's like we're, it, we would have to like talk about timeframes here. It's like you talk about the creation of the internet, and then talk about where Web two, and you talk about like Amazon being. Well, created. luckily, I'm
3: old yeah. enough to have experienced that, and yeah. I think to me, this feels unique. I, I think when. You know, if I did, you know, I go back to like the late or the early '90s. People wanted to try every new thing. Mm -hmm. Where to me, it seems like maybe there's a hesitancy in terms of embracing something that's you know wrapped around a lot of buzzwords. And you know,
2: yeah, I think like though that's like the internet. I mean, think about how long for user adoption of the internet long term and PC adoption long term. Like, I think you're going to take a while to adopt a lot of these core. Things in Web three, right? This idea of owning a digital wallet. These on ramps into the experience will need to improve. The UX UI will need to improve. The apps will need to improve, right? Like it's 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 a. I would say it's like you you can be hype. Like there's a hypercritical opportunity over the, what has the, what has a, the blockchain space accomplished with decentralized apps over thirty six months. And I don't think it's overwhelming. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, this is awesome, right? I think it's like very rudimentary still because it's the things that are early and quick to market, whether it's a game that's play to earn, that's financialization first and not actually really core game mechanics. There's not a long window of development right now. So it's about what time frame you look at. If you went back and looked at like the creation of the internet and kind of deemed it in the first four years, is this going to be something that's revolutionary and is going to adopt hundreds of millions of users? The answer would have been no. Right. And in fact, there was a lot of people that were opposed to it. But then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, cable internet. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we actually don't need AOL. Right. And all of a sudden, computers are getting better. Right. Like connectivity, the user
3: base. I mean, here. I don't know. I mean, like AOL was putting discs in magazines and Everywhere. newspapers. Yeah, and it, it just form. seemed like there was more of a of a broad consumer uh, interest in it. So I, get, I mean, it just seemed like there's a challenge and um, how you can bring, blockchain to the wider consumer maybe to these some of these things you just addressed you know better ui and and things like that um i I think the
2: experiences will be relative like when when you think of it as like success the experiences of like blockchain should be relatively
3: passive right like right like when you think about what's the killer app now buying buying um a a coin that's going to go to go to a higher you hope to go to a higher price is that the killer app at the moment
2: no, I think the killer app at the moment is like marketplaces, right? You know, an OpenSea or something like that, where you're actually allowing all uh, these transactions. To but again, what's the broad,
3: even look at OpenSea, is, is that a broad consumer platform right now? And, and like, what's going to get it to that point?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's early, right? Like Axie Infinity, which is very much hi- like hyper, you know, lower monetization markets, financialization first game is the killer app right now. You know, 30... 30- 36 months into decentralized apps, that's it, right? You know, pretty big market share. And I do think a lot of people bought into it. You know, Brandon, you kind of alluded financialization first and not community, yeah. right? So I don't know. I mean, it really is like order of time frame of, of what kind of like, I, do we have to have a killer app so soon, right? That's like so consumer facing, that's going to drive a billion users or is that going to come in years? Well- well, maybe I uh, should I mean, I just, don't know. It's so Rich, hold do on. You need to
0: build the structure first, you're saying, to get to get to that broader consumer acceptance. Yeah,
2: I think like right now, we are offering the ability with Polygon, for example, like you're just offering the ability to actually start to think about how you build decentralized apps in a way that's user-friendly. Like no like low gas costs, you can build on it, information's on-chain. And there's 7,000 decentralized apps. None of them are Facebook. Or Google yet or YouTube yet there's not like killer consumer app yet that's revolutionized the world right I don't I think you have to make a you have to have a long-term perspective on what's being built I also don't know that it's necessarily inherently a problem solving mechanism nor that it has to like the, it depends on on how you want to speak about it and if you speak about it in such extremes that web 3 is going to eat web 2 which I don't believe like I think it serves a subsection of the world of app development. Right, so it depends on what. Kind Those of like are the activities.
3: leading voices, and that ha- that's how they're talking about it. So they're obviously yeah. doing a disservice to the well, rest so of the community.
2: I agree, but that's also like depends on what voices you're choosing to like listen and opt in. There's a lot of voices. <laughs> well,
3: they're the loudest right? voices at the moment. It
2: sounds
0: yeah. like. But you, are, are really we be- are we getting to Twitter <laughs> filter bubbles? Yeah, like,
2: <laughs> <if> <laughs> it, it, There's there's levels of extremism here that people will talk about anything. Period. Full stop. Right. I think you have people. That speak in hyperbole around that are very hyperbolic. That web three is going to eat web two, and I don't believe that it's not why I'm in this space. I think there's going to be a subset of really interesting consumer facing apps because of on chain data that you'll be able to do unique things with that people will be genuinely interested in participating in. Not, so, I, I, yeah, it depends on framework of who you're talking to. Well, yeah, but but maybe first of all, if, if
1: anyone watching has questions, please use the QA. Box, and we'll try to get through as many questions as people populate in uh, for Ryan, so don't be shy. But I, I guess just, you, you know, you were saying the experiences could look very similar. I guess in success, should a consumer even know that they're using a Web3 game or playing in a Web3 gaming world? Or is the goal to make it feel like it's no different than it is today, just with enhanced functionality?
2: Yeah, I think the thing about it is it you know the idea of like digital asset ownership and digital assets will continue to be such an important part of it that this will be the passive part of the conversation like we really fixate on this right now. And I think that this will be pretty, like the on-ramps will be really simple. You'll have a Coinbase wallet already. You'll attach yourselves into a game because of your Coinbase wallet and KYC. You'll start transacting and buying tokens because you want to participate and buy digital owner. You like have digital items that you own and have liquidity there. And that that should be a pretty like end-to-end seamless experience is what I mean. Um, the Polygon and Solana and all of these platforms that we talk about that are L1s or L2s should be like spoken about as if they're AWS or cloud, like very passive. You don't talk about an exciting company and be like, oh, you know, are you in Google cloud though? Or are you on AWS? Right. So that's why I think can, of success passively. Can
0: you just level set for the audience? You've brought up L1s and L2s and we're obviously familiar here. Can you explain the difference in what Polygon specifically has been trying to solve to make crypto or blockchain easier to build on and less expensive?
2: Yeah. Um, So the best way to think about it is Polygon's making a really big bet on Ethereum, which Ethereum is considered an L1. And we look at that as the settlement layer where all the information, all that, where I'm like, public information is being stored and all these actions are being stored. That's on chain, right? And that's all happening on Ethereum. But it, those transactions, because of the the nature of decentralization, come at a cost, which is called gas fees. What Polygon does is a layer on top of it, which is why it's called a layer two, and it allows other ways to bulk transactions effectively to subsidize gas costs, does that as a transaction layer, and then it allows for settlement on Ethereum. So what you get is a user base that doesn't have to pay That pays relatively nothing on gas costs per transactions, but they get all of the stability and security underlying of Ethereum, right? And so you trade off as part of that, some of decentralization, right? Like we're storing transactions off chain. So you're now reducing the nature of decentralization by doing that. But the end settlement layer happens on the chain, right? So you actually still get the decentralization element of it. There's kind of a trilemma here where you're like you're give you're gonna give out well, you're gonna take away one of those things.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's Anyways, a matrix theory, of choices. Exactly right.
2: right, and so you build on Polygon because you don't have you know you're gonna be doing digital transactions that aren't like a, an ape that's selling for an absurd amount of money where you're like I don't care about a three hundred dollar gas fee but you're buying a twenty nine dollar sword in game and no you you want that to be a sub five to ten cent kind of uh, cost for doing business right. So that's what Polygon does. And then that's the infrastructure. But then you also say, okay, we have 7,000 apps are already on Polygon today. They need support. They need to understand what success looks like, how you go to market. And that's like BD, DevRel, you know, partner success stuff. So it's, it's the tech as well as the
3: people. Can I just ask about the gas fees very quickly? Obviously, we know about this, this stuff, people posting about how high the gas fees are. But on the flip side, it seems like every layer two is claiming like, Oh yeah, but you know, we're going to get to the point where there's no like, is that ultimately going to be a point of differentiation on why you would use one versus another?
2: No, I think like the thing that about that is at some point, you're going to get uh, a tech offering that is zero carbon emissions, which is polygon, low gas fees, which is polygon. Right. And really that's why I start to say it's going to be ease of development then. Right. Do you feel supported? It leans in more on that element as well. So and also, a lot of people will be scrutinized and tested as we scale, right? A lot of people claim, including Polygon, what TPS that we believe it can handle, but we've never tested the upper bounds of you know hundreds of millions of people using the networks where we can actually validate what TPS we can do. So I think, Walter, that will be the big one. Like the, When the dust settles, it will be, can you actually handle the transactions per second that you claim to be able to handle without any issues? Can you yep. can provide a network that is providing real genuine stability with the expectations of what an AWS or cloud would offer? And do you actually have world-class kind of developer support so that you can ensure a higher degree of success as one as much as one can because they have that?
3: So if you were going to stack this up versus like a Solana avalanche, like what are the what will be the specific differentiating points between those? Because those are the two that I think we end up hearing about most in the companies that we're talking to, as well as, you know, what our investors are asking I think even information, the information is like predicted avalanche is going to be the platform, but so where where does it stack up relative to those?
2: That's even new information to me. I mean, avalanche. I may be
3: miss, I may be misphrasing. (laughs) I I probably am. So I take that back. Strike that from the record.
1: Uh, but no, but no, for, think- from
3: your standpoint, what the you know can you kind of compare and contrast specifically um, Solana and Avalanche? Yeah,
2: look, I mean, Solana is an L1, so they're having to figure out how you know if you think about what we do for Ethereum, they're having to figure out how to scale an L1 and yep. keep gas costs down. Like this is a different challenge, right? So we are a layer two, not a layer one. So we gotcha. are already saying we think Ethereum is going to be successful. So if you believe that. Then you want to build on Polygon, right? So that you have to like fundamentally believe long-term in Ethereum. If you talk to a lot of people on Solana, they think that can be an L1 and L2, all all things. It can scale, it can do all of these like awesome things, and it'll be tested long term to see if that's actually the case, as all of us will. Um, Avalanche does something called with they have subnets, which they allow people to kind of build their sovereign chains on. So they have one big game that drives probably like 70-80% of their revenue, the Krabata game you know, their games like that are going to launch subnets. um, So people are offering different product solutions across these different ones. We're a little bit differentiated in the regards that we have suit like subnets. So you could build a sovereign chain on Polygon. We have our POS, which is what everybody largely uses. And then we have our ZK roll-ups. So we feel well hedged that
3: what's a ZK on... roll-up? Sorry.
2: So that's our zero knowledge roll-ups, which will have much more security. You know, uh, you would actually be able to continue to have kind of the security as part of all of it. Um, but it'll come with the you know, slightly higher gas fees than effectively no nothing. So we think there's a lot of different solutions as people continue to scale long term that they're gonna look at. And we feel really well hedged. You know, I can speak best to what we offer versus what others, but this is why we think we're uniquely positioned.
1: So we got some audience questions coming in that we're going to start hitting. Um, so Ryan, the first one's up from Keith. Can you touch on layer zero blockchain projects and goals to increase security after some of these high profile hacks?
2: Yeah. I mean, Keith, the one thing, like it, I think you're probably referencing uh, like the Ronin bridge exploit. So Axie Infinity, um, the, uh, their company, Mavis, that has Ronin, which is a, a, a chain that they build their game on, had a massive security vulnerability. And basically, knowing this audience is, they, they basically um, they held the keys to the castle online. So, um, and they were actually, and, and that was the problem, right? So, the best way to explain it is, um, all of our multisigs are stored offline, so you can't actually access them through the internet. This is a higher level security, but um, yeah, I think security is the this is the one that's going to get tested. So, like, if you think about security and scalability, these are the two things that are going to test and strain Web three over the next, you know, two to four years. And we'll see who, you know. And I think every note. This is not an area that anybody wants to be, you know, arrogant about. Wants to be mindful. You know, you want to be mindful about this issue. Um, and so we were spending a lot of time on thinking about security vulnerabilities as these continue to come up because something like that can be devastating, obviously.
0: Maybe we should switch. We'll definitely integrate more of these questions in, but maybe we should get to Polygon Studios um, specifically at this point. And firstly, as you think about building games on blockchain, what, what are the new mechanics that it allows um, for you to do to create this vertical and for there to be real consumer demand?
2: Yeah, I think the three things that I'm like, when I'm looking at kind of some of the gaming companies that are coming through. So one, to take a step back, Polygon Studios is touching all of our projects that are coming into Polygon that are NFT related. So it whether it's a OpenSea or Royal Music or any of the big partners that are over on that side, all the way to gaming. Now, gaming, obviously, it's over-indexed on gaming. I'd say about 70% of the stuff that we're seeing is gaming related. And a lot of those projects are thinking about it in a couple of ways. I think one, the idea of token governance, right? So having a token that actually can, they can use from a governance perspective to weigh in on decisions on what they want to do from a developmental standpoint. Now that comes with some level of caution because you can't build by committee, but I really find value in this ability to actually have governance over what things are happening. It gives community an actual real voice versus, you know, a Twitter poll or you know, you, disingenuous engagement of the community.
0: Can you talk about that tension a little bit? Because as, as we've looked at projects on the venture side, um, sort of that the, the democratization of, of um, the blockchain and what that enables in terms of DAOs and, uh, and other structures seems to be at odds at, at points with building uh, in the best possible fashion. And by that, I mean, if you look at the way governments have been built um, for a long time and why a republic worked for this country and how yeah. corporations are built, usually there needs to be some level of democratization, but some leadership at the top. How, how, do, how is that tension being resolved right now? It in the like crypto work, world.
2: honestly, I think it's like very much work in progress and, and and thinking about the tokenomics, what allocation goes to the community, how much, how can people kind of come in, purchase a lot of tokens, overtake, you know, like a lot. There's a lot of things that I think people are going through and learning as part of the process and balancing of these things, right? Um yeah. So I feel like, yeah, there's that's ripe for a bunch of issues as things need to be sorted out, right? And I think you're seeing it play out uh in real time. Um, you know, ve- how can venture can just come in and buy a bunch of tokens and then sway a vote in one way, right? So like it certainly can be abused and there's a lot to learn about how governments were formed uh or you know, for, for over the course of history here. Uh, and so I think it's you know, there's a genuine interest to get these things right and balance it. And I think you're starting to see that happened more and more. But yeah. And also, how much do you want to actually put to community, right? As far as voting, you know, like as a developer, how much do you actually want to put in front of it for this decision-making and so forth? So I think it goes, it it can, it really goes down that rabbit hole of discussions. Have you looked at, I'm curious, have you all invested in any Web3 uh, uh, companies?
0: We have, we actually announced one today. Oh, nice. Right, Uh, right. Yeah. What, What is it? We um, we announced Flipside today. Nice. Um, yeah. So we didn't lead that one, but we've done a couple of other things. Um, we've done. I don't even know what's announced and what's not. <laughs> yeah.
2: So don't don't. Okay. Don't.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think I, right I, now. I
2: didn't mean to pose a question. I was curious because you said you had looked at a lot of them on the governance side. I think it was an interesting. Topic. Yeah. So never mind. Uh,
1: maybe it would be great just to take one second, Ryan. I'm just thinking of Top Meg since you raised that. What are your favorite companies in terms of startups in the space that you're most excited about?
2: Yeah, like what should couple. what
1: should this audience be focused on? Let alone us.
2: Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I invest in a company called um, Symbol, which is uh, C-Y-M-B-A-L, which I think is really interesting because now it's like, oh, all this information is on chain what are you doing with it? Right? Like we all talk about it. Like how are you aggregating it together to make meaningful consumer experiences that maybe Walt will get interested in um, at some point here, but oh, I think I'm interested. Trust me. It. I'm
3: I'm probably too involved. Yeah. <laughs> I just it's need definitely. to ask the devil's advocate question for it's, obvious reasons.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true. No. So I think that though, that's interesting. Like at a macro theme, Richard, like I'm interested yeah. in how people are starting to aggregate on-chain information to have meaningful social media experiences and media experiences. Um, I've been really impressed with kind of the crypto unicorns team, just because they're on Polygon as well. Um, just thinking about like as they as as play to earn games evolve, and how do you make sure that it's like a sustainable business and industry, and actually get some of the inherent Ponzi nomics that sometimes yeah. come play in a play to earn. Which is probably can a whole other hour long conversation. Can really I stop
0: hard. you there for a second though? Sure. Because there's been <laughs> there's been a lot of conversation about Axie. Um, it's probably the best known blockchain based game played earned yeah. game what has gone right there and what has gone wrong and what can we learn from it?
2: Oh man that's loaded question I think um, <laughs> look I think um, they have had to figure out what is one of the hardest things to do which is make a good game. And I think that's one of the hardest things you could possibly do, right? And so they're balancing trying to figure out how to make Axie a genuinely quality good game that people enjoy. I think a lot of people would subjectively look at it and be like, this doesn't look very fun, right? So how do they expand upon that? Obviously, they've had their security challenge in Wells with the Ronin hack. Um, I think they've had to figure out at, in their success, how does it make sure that it continues to actually be you know, a revenue driver with SLP price and all of this stuff. And look i think the first one through the wall is always the bloodiest and they're a well-intended company they're well-intended people at the top i think they're learning a lot and they're the first mover's advantage um they've been paid well for that but they also are learning a lot um so i think when i look at some of these play to earn games it's are they well-intended or not because i think that it's very easy to have exploitive financialization models inside of play to earn games um Ponzynomics, whatever you call, it. but I would say I think Axie Infinity is pretty genuine in their approach to figure out how you balance a game ecosystem and a free market. And yeah. it's very easy to be hypercritical of doing those two things because they're both of them are incredibly challenging individually, let alone when you combine them together. And we've tried, we've seen web two games try to do this. And it ruined their games. Diablo auction houses. Yeah,
0: I mean, going back to Diablo, and and they undid that, obviously. But now there there has been some willingness um, to embrace uh, Web three among sure. some of the some of the major publishers. But there has been pushback from players when these yeah. things have been announced. Why why is that pushback happening? How much does it have to do with you know, kind of like the old Diablo problems, how much is it, you know, the way people are viewing games like Axie, um, and others?
2: Yeah. Um, I think there's a a handful of things. Um, I think the pushback from the games industries pr- makes a lot of sense. We made a kind of joke about how extreme, like crypto native folks have been speaking about Web3 and crypto space where it's like, oh my gosh, NFTs and Web3 gaming is going to take over the gaming industry and all of your games, right? So gamers naturally get pretty defensive when people are talking like that. Rightfully so. Uh, you know, it's like I'm just trying to play God of War campaign. Like it doesn't need to be, you know, a damn NFT, right? It doesn't need to be blockchain game. It's absurd comment, right? And so you had some of these people, like Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park, or crypto natives that are speaking to the gaming community, not actually understanding the core part of gamers, and so it's very off putting. Two carbon footprint issues, which was very genuine and and real feedback three very poor implementation right and then four kind of going back to walter's point what kind of consumer experiences are even out there for a gamer right like they're not you know i i none of them right now are for me of interest right like i play a tactical shooter there's not this like vibrant well polished blockchain tactical shooter out so for me as a gamer I'm not ready yet for a game to jump into. I see them on the horizon. I see really reputable developers that come from prestigious studios that are going to make that, but that's a while out. So I think a lot of the feedback and backlash was warranted, right? You can't haphazardly do this. You have to do it very thoughtful. You need to make sure there's a reason to do it. You can't just disrupt experiences that are working well, right? And so it's all about positioning with the gamers. And also like NFTs, you're like, oh, it's, you know, another monkey sold for $800,000. Like now I can't even have access to my games. Like I'm going to be excluded from the bar- the games that I love because the barrier to entry is so unreasonably high. So the whole messaging and value prop was just awful. Awful, like the entire thing. Like, I don't think there's one redeeming quality about the positioning with authentic gamers, right? I'm very excited. The reason I made this move as somebody that played competitively, was an esports commentator, was a streamer, you know, built kind of a, helped build a creator economy at YouTube. I see a lot of the projects that are coming that are going to allow for some of this behavior. And I think it's really interesting. Are the big game developers looking at it? You bet they are, right? For two reasons. One, why you you might as well hedge your marketplace and business right now, right? To make sure that you have a foot in here if it does work out. Two, why wouldn't you want to retain talent that's leaving left and right to go build these experiences? That's
3: a good segue into a question yeah. that we have in the Q&A from Matt saying um, just what your views are from that talent migration from web two to web three. I mean, Certainly just right now the labor market in general is rough. It is that is it retention? Is it migration? Like, give us some either anecdotal or your sense of what that's what that looks like at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably been a little like that's also we talk about some of the hyperbole of the space. I mean, there are people that are seeing and getting really excited to figure out how to build an experience that's in web three and like certainly obviously are departing and going and doing it. And I've seen, you know, you know, friends across big tech going and doing it, but I think. The thing on the the thing that we probably don't talk about enough is how much is happening at a game dev level because of all of the venture capital that's out there. Like we've never seen this kind of capital being deployed in the gaming industry in the history of gaming, right? Um so I think that's been really interesting to see people Want to tap in and being entrepreneurs. Not all of those are web three games, by the way, but just like that movement in the gaming industry has been really interesting. Like in seeing a lot of the brain, brain drain, if you brain will, drain, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yep. I think it's because of actually more venture capital being readily, you know, accessible more than it is exec moves, right? You know, or something that resembled what I did. I think a lot of it's more about finally, like, it's actually really easy to raise capital because everyone's so excited in the space. So go capitalize on it, you know? Um,
1: well, if you just, if you just add Web3 or anything crypto or the word NFT to your deck, you just get a 20% higher valuation. You
2: sure do.
0: Do the, the, Web3, uh, the Web3 mana boost We actually did an experiment on this. <laughs>
2: No, it's very real. It's a good joke. And it's so true, right? You know, um, we're repivoting into a web three company and that'll slow down, right? None of this stuff is sustainable. Well, you know? well, that's um, also
3: another good segue into another question that Matt had was, which was the investment by Sequoia and what specifically do they bring?
2: Yeah, no, it's great. Like if you think about, there's a lot, um, I think the big other thing, than money, yeah, other, <laughs> I, other than I'm like uh, money first and foremost, <laughs> yeah. um, two, one, we're seeing a lot, we're like we're seeing a lot of different companies come through. So just from an investment standpoint and what companies are really interesting, it's great to see that deal flow, right? Like, oh, these are really interesting web three companies we're investing in, they're figuring out chain selection. Like, we should be building on Polygon. It's the best place to build. So there's that, which I think is okay. great. Also, it's a company that went from zero to one very, 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 very quickly. Um, you think Polygon over you know a 24-month period where it has, you know, the market cap of where it's at today and so forth. And so I think. All of the expertise on hiring the right folks, bringing great people in, setting up the org to deal with scale, uh, making sure that you are a place that people are excited to work for, how you manage a global company, right? Like, I think they bring a lot of value to the table in finding and helping place those kind of people within the company to make sure that we continue to be successful accordingly. So they had they a, a good deal of value to us, and we're very grateful for them.
3: Got it. And then just one last one from Matt. Well, not, he's got more than that, but this one... <laughs> Cause it'll come back to something. I still don't
0: understand. We, maybe we should saying. bring Matt up here. The
3: ZK thing,
0: zero knowledge roll. I know we went, op- we
2: went and started this with like, Hey, it's high level, different knowledges. And now we're like, let's oh get God. very deep and technical. I and know. So.
3: Let's talk about the ZK.
0: <laughs> I told you maybe, we have to balance it out go, for oh, everybody. You <laughs> help.
3: <in this> thing. <laughs> maybe you can help uh, simplify yeah, this, this concept of optimistic roll-ups versus zero knowledge rollups, And for those of us that don't know what the fuck either of those are, maybe a basic explanation. Can you, you explain? And are you betting on one more than, than the other?
2: Yeah. So we're bet. So yes, the zero knowledge rollups that we're starting to use, where you can use other pieces of information to verify the authenticity without Got actually it. knowing that person is really Understood. interesting. And we built Polygon ID and we spent almost a billion dollars on the ZK acquisitions that we did, right? Zero, Hermes, so forth last yep. year. So we're definitely betting on on, on um, our ZKs. Okay. Thoughts on scaling solutions competition. Polygon compared to Mutable X. Yeah, Mutable X with Starkware partnership is really interesting. I think Immutable is a great company. I'm an early investor in them as well. And I think it's okay to have multiple competitors in the space. Um, I think the founders are a great team. A um, little bit different in the fact that they have one solution that they offer and we have multiple solutions. You can plug into our... Subnets like our sovereign chains, you can plug into our POS, you can plug into our ZKs, uh, the EVM compatibility of it, right? So I think the the user base of it. So I think it offers more solutions, but I think Immutable is a great company. Uh, We talked about views on migration of talent. And then Polygon tied to Ethereum, thoughts on Ethereum, market share, what's important to watch, transaction volume, dollar volume. Yeah, great question. We So we really want to be like Ethereum positioned at number one from a transaction, like revenue standpoint and Polygon number two, right? So we look at unique, like what internally we kind of look at is what success is, is how many apps are on the platform, how many unique wallets are on the platform, how many transactions are happening daily, monthly, yearly, so forth, and how much total revenue is being driven through the platform, uh, you know, gross revenue from uh, purchases. So I want I want to make sure I went through his questions. Perfect. Oh, no, that, perfect. Was, oh, that yeah. was
0: great. Okay, so if it was 2021 and not 2022, the first question probably would have had the word metaverse in it. So... <laughs>
2: guys, do you see my shirt, dude?
1: What lost, does it say?
0: What does it say?
2: It says, if lost, return to the metaverse. <laughs>
0: Okay, so what? For
2: the metaverse yes. So what?
0: What are your high level views um, on the building blocks of the metaverse and how the blockchain fits into yeah. your overall view?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, my kind of take on the metaverse, um, which obviously we all agree has been far played out at this point. Um, but I look at like you've seen this evolution of people then spending more time in front of digital devices, and then you know how much we're connected, and then those experiences are starting to get deeper and richer and more engaging. And I think that's like the evolution of the metaverse to me. Right? We're already spe- we're already tethered in digitally all day like all day and then we go sleep and we do it again and again and again and those experiences can range from TikTok to Fortnite, right but we're we agree that they continue to get more engaging more richer and that we're spending more time in digital worlds i think as people start to spend more time and money and investment in the space they're going to want more out of it and so i think on chain like this on chain idea is i am spending money in these digital worlds I do want them to have some level of interoperability where it's achievable. I do want to know that I have the ability to get Where ready. it's
0: achievable. We see yeah, we'll get into that. Keep going. I, we need to talk yeah. about
2: that because I think that's like That's not just like, oh, I'm going to take X digital item and just like plop it here. It's not that either, right? But I think there's assets as far as interoperability, like how you move, like the liquidity of this. Like I'm in Richard's metaverse and I can actually get rid of all these items and sell them and then go build up in Brandon's universe, right? So, you know, versus all the legacy games and moments where you spend a ton of money and there's nothing in return. So I think on chain is like that verifiable part of it is going to be really important as people peacock in generally and spend more time, money and energy in digital experiences.
0: As 3D Interactive evolves and as the building blocks for the metaverse evolve, how do you see that happening? Do you think there's going to be a couple of key core platforms or do you think it's going to be a sort of like Web 2 where you have, you know, your Facebooks and your snaps um, and your Twitters or do you think it's going to look more like the World Wide Web?
2: God help us that it looks more like the world.
0: <laughs> I know yeah. I know that's what you want, but yeah, what do you like, think if, is going <laughs> to... If
2: we see a consolidation of the digital worlds and stuff, I'm out of here, dude. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to Ohio and just like live on my farm. Um, I, I hope it is incredibly decentralized. Um, That it creates all kinds of different unique experiences for people. I don't see any world where somebody is owning it or wall gardening these experiences.
0: I just It's, It's interesting because if you look at the most successful building blocks now, the most successful one has probably been Roblox. And Roblox, very much like an AOL, is a fully walled garden that you cannot bring any assets into nor take any assets out of. Yeah. Is that a sustainable situation for Roblox?
2: if nobody wants to compete with them, then sure is, right? Like the fact that nobody's allowed for democratization of development in their game at that level of scale allows them to have a really unfavorable revenue share with their creators, right? It allows for a walled garden. Like they haven't been challenged and contested. So they haven't been motivated to change these things, right? I think that's been the great thing of what you've seen in the video landscape. There's been, you know, YouTube's been contested, right? You know, Twitch has been contested, right? These are good things for the space. It allows for real... Development, it allows for creators and users to be on the favorable end of that. And right now, people haven't, you know, like Minecraft hasn't tried to replicate something to that nature. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, they have been very successful the way that they've established it. It also has put people on the unfortunate end of that because of rev share splits. So I think that stuff needs to be challenged more long term. And that'll be cool. Like Roblox can still be really big. Like that just needs to be, there's going to be, you know, hundreds of other options and opportunities and things to go do.
0: Can Facebook really be one of the bigger ones? How, do you think that Zuck can, or Facebook Meta can make Meta a strong player in the metaverse? Can big companies really exist in in new technologies?
2: Yeah, I do. I'm optimistic that people can participate in this space if done right. But you know, I saw like the rev share stuff come out, and so then you kind of question, you know, like how much of the transactions
0: they were taking, all that, and. But way, but way less than Roblox is.
2: I know, right? And like, <laughs> people I, forget I, that. Is that a good comparison, right? Like yeah. more like that's an egregious, you know, revs shared take, right? Um, but yes, I do, right? I mean, think about it. You can't under these people, these companies are filled with brilliant people, brilliant people. You know, the smartest people I ever worked with. Uh, We're at Google, right? And so I think they will absolutely have a place in this world. This is why I don't believe we talked about like the extremism of like, you know, Web2 is going to get eaten up in this space. No, they can participate. I just think it'll be tougher for them to deal with a world where they can't. It's not a take all right And that there's no spirit of take all. Uh, But will they participate and have a world that people are in? Absolutely. And that are spending time, money and energy. Yeah. But to what market share and fragmentation occurs will be TBD.
1: Ryan, you sort of talked about why you went to Polygon. What you didn't really explain is why couldn't, you know, with Google and YouTube sort of to us at least seem to have unlimited resources, Um, you know, trillion dollar companies, massive scale computing power. Why couldn't you build this inside of YouTube and YouTube gaming or, you know, why couldn't you be this platform? Why did you need to leave to build this?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, Susan spoke about this publicly with a creator interview as well. Like, I think they understand and get the value of NFTs and what it can bring to the creator ecosystem. And I would be, I, I am certain that they will have an NFT strategy, you know, as they should, right? Uh, with how important the creator economy is to YouTube. For me, I like the idea of being at a platform that gets broad visibility of the entirety of the industry. So, like, I wouldn't have that at YouTube, right? You would, you'd be very much focused on like, NFT related projects that help the creator economy out, which is great. That's cool. I do love that. But at Polygon and being the CEO of studios, now I get to see everything from video games to the music industry to fashion to entertainment. And it's this broad kind of platform of visibility across the space. And I like the idea now of I've spent what I actually liked one working at YouTube. Was doing things that help creators, right? So I felt like at YouTube, I was at the service of creators. I like being in this position. I feel like I'm at the service of creators now, although they're developers. So that your your you know your your level of impact is much higher here. If that's what you're focused on, then then it would be at a YouTube.
1: Okay, and when you think about NFTs, I and mean, when you're talking about sort of like what you can do with them in the creator economy, you know, is it fan clubs with utility? Like, what do you actually? When you think about what the right strategy is, I mean, obviously, we see a lot of NFTs that are just JPEGs and sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I, what I would call as disposable, which is like 99.9%. Yep. But there's some really good examples of ones that have real utility and create, you know, not just clubs, but also utility to those clubs. And I'm not even talking board apes. I think there's other examples, but are, are there ones that you look at and just yes. sh- kind of hold up and Big go launch
0: this week, obviously.
1: What are the things that you look at that you get excited about when you see what people are doing structurally with NFTs?
2: It within, as it relates to like content creators or just like the at, at large?
1: I meant like NFTs for like how creators are using NFTs oh, cre- creatively, I guess, yeah, 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 yeah. R- rather than just throwing up images. I mean, no offense to like an NBA top shots, but like pictures of, or, you know, short little plays that seem disposable versus actual unique value added utility.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think you're. I think the assessment that you can build this product and people can still be very lazy about how their implementation of it is. Right, so you will see varying degrees of the creator economy do that, much like you can see varying degrees of laziness within like how people leverage Patreon. Um, so I think those that have a, a, an emphasis on creating real value within the utility and like what does that mean, like. Is it meet and greets? Is it access to something? Right. Like how do you really start to add value into this? What happens when you own something that's circa 2019? What value do you put inside of that versus a new mint that you do? Um, do you build a club? Do you launch a creator token? Do you Allow subsidization of revenue and content and videos as well, because you're actually making the videos themselves NFT. So I think they can take it a lot of different directions, creators. It's just really hard right now for a creator to set up outside of your, your, what you're talking about. Like, right. If you're a content creator and you want to do a minted project, the only way that like, you're really doing it is like, oh, I got to, I'm going to go through like setting up 10,000 different kind of profile picture arts and I'm going to mint it and then you can be a part of it. There's not a, like a really good playbook on how creators should be thinking about this. And and just like how creators had to start thinking about when we launched mid rolls and then when we launched mobile ads and then you start adjusting your video formats and then you start making them longer versus shorter. Then you're running them longer and then, you know, paid digital goods start coming out and things like Super Chat and, you know, so forth and bits on Twitch. So it seems just like the continued evolution here.
1: So Chad's got a question. Good to see you here. Uh, how does the value prop change for L2s when they mer- when the merge happens on ETH?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Chad. And well, good to see you as well virtually. Um, so the first thing is the merge is happening is gonna be really, really good for Polygon, right? Because a lot of people talk about carbon footprint and I think you allude to it later in these, the conversation. Um, and so the one thing that we still haven't, we have to offset the carbon footprint that proof of work of Ethereum still does. So although Polygon has these low carbon emissions and we're offsetting them, right? Whether we're doing funds or whatever to offset them to, to, to be car, uh, carbon uh, positive, if you will, uh, is, is still as, is going to be under scrutiny until the merge is done and switches to proof of stake in which then we have a true and end solution where we have no carbon footprint, right? So that's actually really good for us. The question I think a lot of people when they ask that are more talking about sharding and how transactions per second will get higher and then gas fees should get inevitably lower. And then what's the value prop of Polygon, which probably is what the question might have been at heart, is is I think what's going to happen here is they're going to have that's a multi-year rollout. So they're years away from that level of scale. And even then if we think of web3 to be really successful the amount of transactions per second that ethereum can get to on mainnet will never be high enough to handle the volume in success. So we think of it constantly as a solution that's going to be needed there. Uh, but so I think did, people Did you say
3: you, was there a term was there, there. was there a blockchain term called sharding is that what you just said? Sharding with a d not oh.
2: a Yeah. And that allows that will allow for more transactions per second which <laughs> which, will, which will alleviate gas costs and and then walter you kind of talked about like everybody sharding
3: alleviating things. gas costs yeah
2: yeah because you can increase more transactions per second correct
3: uh, first of all that is going to be it's a denied. headline in
2: the in the email so we send out no. that is that's so, going to be an email yeah Sorry. make sure you spell the d I, not a t i though. thought i heard <laughs> yeah. that
3: yeah. differently yeah um and there then, was so another yes, question right from chad of asked,
2: off, the carbon is being set off by carbon credits and then once that they do the eth merge that won't be warranted because we will actually have an end to end solution from L1 to L2 with no carbon emi- or no, no to low carbon emissions. So it'll be a non issue. And, and if you take an issue there, then it's like sending you know, emails across Google will be problematic then.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I think Chad had one more about, yeah. the, about the cool cats, if you c- can read in there.
3: It says, what's the latest with the cool cats situation? What role has Polygon played with the Cooltopia issues?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, we're Cool Cats is uh game is on um Polygon. Uh we're the BD teams are working closely with them. I'm not totally on top of the Cooltopia issues today, but um, I know like people have been participating and playing on the you know, and, and enjoying it, but i I'd, I'd have to look into that one, Chad it's hard. This is a, this is we're scaling. It's hard to honestly stay up on all the projects and things that are happening. It reminds me of like YouTube when I couldn't name, yep, you couldn't name big creators anymore.
1: If you think about five years from now, what do you hope Polygon Studios looks like? Like what, it, I guess, what does success mean to you or the team broadly?
2: Yeah. That I think that we're, you know, unanimously understood as the transaction layer for Ethereum and that, we start to get some of those big consumer facing apps are now out in public that are built on Polygon that have meaningfully changed wallets and and increased transactions. So like really working with companies to make sure that they can hit critical mass. And I think the game companies are well positioned to increase that funnel because they can help with a lot of the like technical challenges of user journeys onboarding. So I would say that's, that's success. Like we need the, we need the hits that, you know, kind of Walter talked about. Like you need to be able to point to three or four really big companies that are driving millions of Dow every single day in a polygon. And that have like validated the thesis of web
3: right, three. So hold on, Rich, for a second. Yeah. Just a quick follow-up on that. So yeah. when, again, when you think of like, everyone can only say, oh, web two, it took for, I don't really think it took that long, but whatever, let's, let's agree to disagree on that. Mm-hmm. So when those two or three things happen, what's the time frame? What's a, a reasonable time frame when we can point to these things and say, okay, the UI, all these things that you mentioned earlier in um, in our, in our in discussion, when's that going to happen? Is that a year Probably from now, three, three, years three years from now?
2: I mean, if you think some of these great games take five, six, seven years to make, I think you're. Well, I'm also at a,
3: thinking that like if everything's decentralized and everyone's on it, everything should be happening faster than it ever did before. Correct. Hundred percent agree. I don't okay.
2: think you'll. I don't think. I think that you will see speed because of the democratization of it. But I do still think it's a couple years out for the kind of scale that you're referencing for it being.
3: Couple of years. Kind of yeah, makes sense. Sorry, Rich. Yeah. Um.
1: I was going <laughs> to, what was I going to like ask completely you? completely divert
3: you from your... <laughs> you did,
1: but, you know, I guess it, it was sort of, oh, I remember now. So it was, you sort of tied in that in five years, sort of success is like a few big companies and you sort of tied in gaming. Do you think this is going to go wider than gaming and the, the types of big companies that you talk about, are we going to see much more? Do you think the next five years is really about gaming and five to 10 plus is when we see sort of broader...
2: No, I think you're going to see more than just gaming enter in a meaningful way.
1: And so what what does that look like? Maybe just because I think that would be a great topic to sort of kind yeah, of we're, leave, wrapping I'm down. We're running
2: out of time, but I'll leave yeah. you with the idea of you. You know, the, the rich IP of the entertainment industry. I think there will be a lot of participation of people with rich IP thinking about how to really appropriately enter the NFT place, place the marketplace, what kind of utility they can do to tie together multiple parts of that IP. Um, I think it's going, I think there will be a big, big players in the space that participate there as well. So okay. I it's going to go well beyond gaming. And I think it'll be traditional rich IP established companies that are not gaming endemic companies that will also be massively participating in this industry. And I think you'll see that in the next three years.
0: Our hour is now up, Ryan. That's a good so, little tease, so
2: though, Rich, I know that, that's like <laughs> I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that.
0: I oh, know we're, we're, we're so, gonna tease you a little bit well, now. Well, we got we, one last question have, for have, you. One last question for you.
2: Oh, no. I appreciate all the fastballs. So, give me one more. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How does the Twitter Elon situation resolve, in your opinion? Oh, my opinion? God. <laughs>
2: What does he say? I the most entertaining outcome is the most likely. I think Elon Musk's get it takes Twitter private then with uh his own quote in mind.
0: There you go. Yeah. You heard it from Ryan. Uh thanks for
1: joining us on Light Shed Live, Ryan. This was awesome, a great education. I think I understood at least 65% of it. And we'll follow <laughs> up with funny. you for the rest. Yeah, <laughs> I, love
2: I love it. We'll do the postmortem in.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate Appreciate it. it. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Take Take care. Bye.